throw, and I have no stones to throw today, nothing, nothing, nothing serious at all. I'm still a little gaga. Um, I had went to a memorial for Toby Cole last night, and it prompted all sorts of thoughts to me. Uh, I was thinking I, I had all sorts of crazy dreams last night. Uh, there's a little uh, epitaph, epigraph, pardon me, uh, epigraph from Emily Dickinson in the uh, brochure from Toby Cole's memorial. Toby was a programmer here at KPFA for years and years and years and years and years. Um, she did over a hundred shows uh, when she was already in her 80s. Anyway, there's a little mention here by Emily Dickinson who wrote, Is it as plainly in our living shown by twist and turn which way the wind hath blown? Yes, aha, and the Malay talks about being a little shrub that was bent when she was young. We used to call this the bent twig effect when I was a girl at Mills College. Uh, it's strange because I went home after this memorial for a woman of 91 and uh, I found myself reading, would you believe, uh, the journals of Rachel Corey and dreaming about her again. For some reason or another, when someone dies at age 91, I can't help wondering about uh, a woman of 23 and about the loss we had when she, when Rachel Corey died. Uh, you know, when she was hit by that bulldozer over in Rafa and uh, killed. And I thought, well, let's see, someone, some old, uh, some old Englishman said that uh, death comes to young men. Old men go to death. That is the difference. I do not know. I do think that there is something about the completed life, the the rounded life. As King used to say, yes, longevity has its place. But we never know. We never know. I think perhaps the shortest is the same. Marcus Aurelius tells us that since we have but the present moment and that since that's all we have to lose, it makes no difference sooner or late. I want to start today with just a little scrap from a play called My Name is Rachel Corey, taken from her writings and edited by the great actor Alan Rickman and put on at the Royal Court a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a wonderful play and... Uh, it has brought to life the uh, the work of this great writer. She's not just a martyr. She's a great writer, Rachel Corey. She writes, When I graduated fifth grade, we had a list of questions for our yearbook. And one of them was, What do you want to be when you grow up? Everyone wrote something like doctor, astronaut, or Spider-Man. Then you turned the page, and there was my five-paragraph manifesto on the million things I wanted to be, from wandering poet to first woman president. That was real cute in fifth grade, but when it's ten years later, 
and I'm a junior in college, and I still don't have the conviction to cross Spider-Man off my list, well, you can imagine it gets a little nerve-wracking. My mother used to walk with me to the bottom of the hill to wait for the carpool, and I was nervous that I would do it wrong. I remember, or maybe I invent, that occasionally we decided on the way that I wasn't going to school. We stole time that way. She took me to lunch. We went to bookstores in Seattle. She bought me books on love and delinquency. And although she never said it straight out, I'm sure she was hoping I'd become a bank robber. My mother would never admit it, but she wanted me exactly how I turned out. Scattered and deviant and too loud. <laughs> well, the actress playing Rachel Corey changes her clothes and comes down to the apron of the stage and addresses the audience. She says, I'm building the world myself. I'm putting new hats on everybody one by one. Ah, Before I go out, I'm so wrinkled, my face is so wrinkled, I have to grab the great big flaccid flaps of my eyebrows and lift them off my cheekbones in order to see. Before I go out, I'm going to have people dressed in tutus. <laughs> Before I die, they're going to be wearing sombreros. Stockbrokers with Viking hats. Priests with panties on their heads. In the world I'm building... Everybody shouts hello to everybody else from their car windows. People have speakers attached to their chests that pour out music so you can tell from a distance what mood they're in. And there won't be too chicken to get naked when the rain comes. And first ladies carry handcuffs and bull whips and presidents wear metal collars. Big metal collars with tight leashes. <laughs> okay. She emerges from the pile of clothes. She's barefoot. Okay, I'm Rachel. Sometimes I wear ripped blue jeans. Sometimes I wear polyester. Sometimes I take off all my clothes and swim naked at the beach. I don't believe in fate, but my astrological sign is Aries, the ram. My sign on the Chinese zodiac is the sheep, and the name Rachel means sheep. But I've got a fire in my belly. It used to be such a big, loud, blazing fire that I couldn't hear anybody else over it. So I talked a lot, and I didn't listen too much. Then I went to middle school, where you've got to be cool. And you gotta be strong and tough. And I tried real hard to be cool. But luckily, luckily, I happened to get a free trip to Russia. And I saw another country for the first time. In the streets and the alleys, it was an obstacle course of garbage and mud and graffiti. There was coal dust on the snow. Everything was dirty. They always said to us, How do you like our dirty city? Oh, but 
It was so pretty with the little lights in the windows and the red dusk light on the buildings. It was flawed, dirty, broken, and gorgeous. I looked backwards across the Pacific Ocean, and from that distance, some things back here in Olympia, Washington, USA, seemed a little weird and disconcerting. But I was awake in Russia. I was awake for the first time with bug eyes and a grin. On the flight home from Anchorage to Seattle, everything was dark. Then the sun began to rise. The water was shining. I realized we were flying over Puget Sound. Soon we could see islands in that water, evergreen trees on those islands, and I began to sob. I sobbed in all that radiance in the midst of the most glorious sunrise I'd ever seen, because it wasn't enough. The sunrise wasn't enough to make me glad to be home. Maybe it was finally the trees. Who told me to stay, or maybe going to school in my hometown was just the path of least resistance. Maybe going to Evergreen State College was just the best way to be different from my economics major, high achiever, khaki and high heels, Yaley corporate sister and brother. I don't know why I stayed, but one day I knew I had to. It was the same day I decided to be an artist and a writer, and I didn't give an S if I was mediocre, and I didn't give an S if I starved to death, and I didn't give an S if my whole damned high school turned and pointed and laughed in my face. I was finally awake, forever and ever. And that is from the writings of Rachel Corey, who died at the age of twenty-three, and I think probably knew as much as any human being needs to know in this life. Ah,、uh, yes, she knew enough to have faith and pursue the unknown end, as we used to say. <laughs> she, she. Yes, she had the faith. The force was with her.、Uh, it's so funny. I was thinking over and over again of Rachel Corey last night while I watched the folks up at the Redwood Gardens Senior Home, and I thought,、uh, "What is it?、Uh, how strong you have to be to get old?"、Uh, there was. Of course, a sea of gray heads. Larry Bensky was there, being the MC, <laughs> and he he told me this was a shock that he was in the habit of listening to my Tuesday show on his way to uh, teach at uh, uh, Cal State Hayward, and that was a shock. I thought, well, I shall have to change my tone. I shall have to get serious. <laughs> anyway.、Uh, I I did appreciate Bensky at the memorial because
He is very calm now, having been uh, away from KPFA for a while. He's gotten a little rest, and he seems so professorial. He's like... Uh, uh, He's like a Rebbe. He's very solemn. He read me some wonderful stuff from Proust. I got out Toby Cole's book on Venice. She wrote a book, edited a book on uh, Venice and all of the things that had been written about it. And I even found the things that Proust said. Maybe I have time to read that in a minute. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I did get a kick out of it because I looked around and I thought, here is Toby having gone to the ancestors just when uh, Bo Diddley and Utah Phillips left us uh, she knew exactly how to get the best company uh, she went along with the the fun guys the music guys I thought of Woody Allen's jazz heaven in his movies he always says people go to jazz heaven that's their reward for me, I always think of Louis Armstrong in the boat at the River Styx, you know, singing, Hello, Dolly. <laughs> anyway, uh, 91 years old Toby was. She was born in 1916, and she was a fixture and uh, uh, a regular in the drama and literature department here at KPFA for so many years. She was a delight, and she was quite difficult, uh, I always wonder why people insist, you know, that we say that someone was perfect when they die. Uh, (laughs) Toby was a mixed bag. Uh, For me, she always evoked the 1930s, the fire and spirit of Emma Goldman, maybe, but dressed in a Chanel suit. Uh, I think those people who grew up in that time, you know, they were never easy, at least none of those I knew, certainly not my parents. Uh, my mother was a bit of a champagne socialist. Uh, anyway, it was quite something to see Larry Bensky saying Kaddish for Toby. He said, if my parents could see me now, some of her pals thought that would be a good idea. Larry put on a terrific straw hat. Uh, it was... Uh, Quite a scene. The senior housing facility uh, was once the University of California Blind School, and it's now a uh, home for uh, people of a certain age. And Larry did the dance there with Toby's four-year-old granddaughter, Amita. Ah, she's the daughter of the writer John Critch. John's back in Berkeley briefly for his mother's final act. Toby was a woman of the theater. All the world was her stage, and what I liked especially was she was, uh, she's not just an actress, you know, actors, uh, I was an actor. What Toby did was she was a critic, she was an agent, she was a mover and a shaker. I always thought of the line, (laughs) she would say, just show me where I make my entrance, make my presence felt. We celebrated her life in song and dance. And dance is not easy for people, uh, for, what is it, uh, uh, significant elders. I'm always making the joke that rheumatism is worse than communism or capitalism. I haven't danced since the 70s, but there was <laughs> a couple of, couple of real hoofers there at the uh, 
Memorial, and Barbara Dane was there. Glorious folk singer, people's poet, uh, yes, uh, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, I remember Barbara Dane doing uh, the music for a production of Under Milkwood by Dylan Thomas across the street from where I live now. I live now at the Harriet Tubman Terrace across from the Berkeley Bowl, the best grocery store in the East Bay. Uh, we did Under Milkwood at the Berkeley Drama Guild, it was called. The building was on the corner of Stewart and Shattuck. If you go there now, you will find a little restaurant called Sconehenge. A uh, joke on Stonehenge, of course. Anyway. <laughs> oh, those were the days, folks. Yes, um, back in the day. There was an inevitable moment of farce at the memorial. One of Toby's detractors lost his temper with the proceedings and caused something of a fracas. <laughs> I liked particularly the bit about Toby's cat. There was some fuss about Toby's cat, uh... I am told, I am told that the cat has been uh, well taken care of and has a happy home now. Uh, it made me think of Emily Dickinson's cat. Uh, Emily Dickinson went through the doors of perception into the frame of night. Once she wrote, you remember my ideal cat has always a huge rat in its mouth. Just going out of sight. Though going out of sight in itself has a peculiar charm, it is true that the unknown is the largest need of the intellect. Though for the unknown, no one thinks to thank God. Yes, Emily Dickinson was one who struggled and struggled with mutability and death. She really grappled with Eros and Thanatos, you know, the poet's bedfellows. She wrote, By a departing light, we see a cuter quite than by a wick that stays. She went into uh, terminal grief after the death of her brother's little son, Gilbert. Uh, um, yes, her brother's mistress, Mabel Todd, wrote, I used to sing to Emily in the long, lonely drawing room. She never came in to listen. She only sat outside in the darksome hall on the stairs. But she heard. She heard every note. When I had finished, she always sent me in a glass of wine, and with it either a piece of cake or a rose, and a poem, the latter usually impromptu, evidently written on the spot. I thought of that during the memorial yesterday. Several poets, uh, well, <laughs> they, they, they tucked poems into my purse. I um, didn't have the opportunity to read them. I, 
I'll go, I'll sift through them and see. Some of them uh, were high camp. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. As um, uh, as Emily says, the unknown, that is the great mystery. Uh, what was that? There's four lines, her, her best four lines about uh, her departure from this life, Emily Dickinson wrote. If I shouldn't be alive... When the robins come, give the one in red cravat a memorial crumb. <laughs> yes, my favorite is always Langston Hughes. I'm paraphrasing. I think I've got the quote wrong. He used to say it was something to the effect of uh, if he died or if there were a funeral. He said he wanted everybody to come to his funeral and wear red because ain't no use in being dead. In any case... uh <laughs> I, I have been told, yes, twice now this morning by people who know, that Toby Cole's cat has found a happy home. Uh, I think she would have enjoyed the fuss at the memorial. Uh, <laughs> yes, the weirdest week. Uh, I think uh, Larry Bensky gave the protester the microphone in the true spirit of free speech, but uh, I thought, gee... This is just like the meetings at KPFA. Uh, let's open the wine. <laughs> the food was delicious. And Bill Mandel was there. I think, I think it just, it just fascinates me how strong you have to be to get old, you know, not for sissies, as they say. Uh, I took one look at the picture of Toby Cole and I thought vanity outlasts the grave. If I, if I can't, uh, find all those copies of the pictures uh, I had pictures in the lobby at the Laguna Beach Playhouse you know the kind of things they, they put in uh, well you know publicity shots I've got to get get rid of all those things in case somebody should do me a memorial I must figure out a way to avoid such things actually no problem I will uh, avoid it I won't be there I'm looking at the little brochure uh, the pictures of Toby. She's so glamorous in the style of the 1930s. Uh, it says here, Did you know that Toby Cole once worked as a cigarette girl in a New Jersey casino? And <laughs> she performed skits in burlesque houses to rouse the working class. She had parents who helped build Miami Beach. She was an actress in the Federal Theater League and saw the premiere of Waiting for Lefty. That's by the great playwright Clifford Odets. She booked concerts for Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly. She studied Soviet civilization one summer at Cornell. She served as head librarian at the wartime Russian-American Institute. She was assistant producer of the Broadway musical Finnegan's Rainbow. She roamed with Shelley Winters. Now that... That is an achievement. I can remember Shelley Winters back in New York hiring a kite. She did abuse some of the better substances. Uh, Toby resurrected Zero Mostel and others from the blacklist. She helped uh, discover, what a word, Sam Shepard, James Earl Jones, and Barbara Garson, the uh, woman who wrote MacBird. And um, uh, there's a list of... Uh, the work she represented in Nobel laureates, Saul Bellow, Pablo Neruda, Luigi Pirandello, um, 
and on and on. I always think of Berthold Breck, uh, Toby Chase, New York cops on horseback down Fifth Avenue during anti-war demonstrations. Uh, she stood vigils at the Atomic Energy Commission. She left America when Richard Nixon was re-elected, uh, became a guide to the Jewish ghetto in Venice. <laughs> she plunged into a Venetian canal to save her dog. There you go. She journeyed to China at the age of 85, and she went to Thailand at the age of 91. That was just last year, yes. She lectured on Venice and on social justice as far away as Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Toby was uh, twice married. She still managed to edit six books and was completing her seventh at her death. My favorite of Toby's books are her books on acting uh Jean Shelton, who has an acting school in San Francisco now, uh, says that Toby's work on acting was the best, best of all. I liked a collection she edited called Actors on Acting. But no one particular school of theater, you know, you didn't have to be a method actor. You did whatever it was that worked, uh, you know, the good stuff. Now, I have a little section from Marcel Proust. Bensky is writing about Proust. I've heard this rumored, but I don't know what he's writing, whether it's a biography or whether it's a study of Proust's work. I'll find out. <laughs> There's a little section here. In Toby's book, Toby put together a book called Venice, a Portable Reader. It's got everything in it. I read a snatch of it last week, but uh, the end of the section on uh, Proust, it has Proust uh, dreaming that he went to a particular little place, uh, a little tiny cul-de-sac, a special place in the moonlight. The next day, of course, he couldn't find it. Yes, my beautiful nocturnal piazza. I set out in quest, yes, but he couldn't find it. I have had that experience a few times. Uh, he writes, I ended by asking myself whether it was not during my sleep that there had occurred in a dark patch of Venetian crystallization, the strange interruption which offered a vast piazza flanked by romantic palaces to the meditative eye of the moon. I remember once, I think I was 15, wandering in a... wandering in the desert, oh, about 90 miles from Tombstone, looking for my own mother's grave and not being able to locate it, although... I had been there once before to bury her two years before uh, and couldn't find it. Uh, after the first death, there is no other. Uh, let's see, I have a minute to read a few lines from W.H. Auden's poem, September the 1st, 1939. <laughs> it's, what is it? It is the, the, uh, the aura of Toby Cole. Auden wrote, all I have is a voice to undo the folded lie, the romantic lie in the brain of the sensual man in the street, and the lie of authority whose buildings grope the sky. There is no such thing as the state, and no one exists alone. Hunger allows no choice to the citizen or the police. We must love one another. 
or die. Defenseless under the night our world in stupor lies, yet dotted everywhere ironic points of light. They flash out wherever the just exchange their messages. May I, composed like them, of arrows and of dust, beleaguered by the same negation and despair, show an affirming flame. Check out Toby Cole. You can find her on the web. You will be able to track down all her books. And uh, I will be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of This is KPFA or KPFB Berkeley or KFCF Fresno online at kpfa.org. And coming up next, we have Free Speech Radio News, followed at 4 o'clock by Hard Knock Radio at 5 o'clock. Flashpoints, and at 6 o'clock, our KPFA Evening News. And here's something about our election coverage that you can hear later this evening here on KPFA. On Tuesday, June 3rd, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton square off in the final primaries of this presidential election. Voters in six states choose the congressional candidates that will face off this fall. Californians vote on a ballot measure.